As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. If you know, then you know it's those long nights, early mornings, rolling down these old back roads, working all Al Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, Ex-Girlfriend, <laughs> how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. And their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, that's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products 
products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or, or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss adult film stars, Olympic athletes, and sportsman drag racers. Big Jed, I got to see you. I got to hug you. We were in the same place at the same time. Uh, We vacationed together last week. Yeah, Luke, it was awesome. Um, certainly, uh, our paths don't cross near as much as uh, as I would prefer, and it was great to see you and your lovely family down in Orange Beach, Alabama, and we had a really cool time. Didn't didn't get to hang out a ton, but we got to spend a few hours together, and it was all good, my friend. Absolutely. It was good times. It's good to be back here on the show. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode. It was a tribute to our good friend, Kyle Seipel. We did get together on vacation, Big Jed. We got to spend some time together. We broke bread, and uh, it was at dinner that uh, producer Mark lit us up with, uh, with a, uh, a group text and let us know that our friends at Manscaped are dropping the bag. They are increasing their alignment with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And what better place to start, Big Jed? We, we enjoyed that, right? That that made dinner, without oh, question. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And so with that in mind, like, let me tee you up. You are the master of the Manscaped ad reads. And keep in mind, we're, we're batting a 1,000 here, listeners. Big Jed, never more than one read on these. And these are pretty entertaining, right? So let me tee you up, Big Jed, this week's Manscaped read. Well, thank you, Luke. And certainly, uh, as you mentioned, Manscaped has uh, has upped the ante with us and uh, signed up for a little longer time. And that is because of you, the listener, and, and what your response has been to these Manscaped ads and that wonderful, wonderful product. So because of you, the listener, today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. Now, it's back to school time. And we want to make sure that you pack the essentials so you have the best year yet. The Manscaped fourth generation performance package is just that. Now, things are opening up. Be ready for whatever in the daily schedule for you. It's the perfect package for your package. You get it, Luke? Perfect package for your package? Got it. Yeah. (laughs) I knew you would. And it includes the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 from our great friends at Manscaped. Now, Manscaped also threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped boxers, those things feel amazing. You're going to love them. And the Shed Travel Bag. Now, one is a comfy front pack for your junk, and the other is a backpack for your goods. So you're covered front and back. Only our friends at Manscaped can do that for you. Now, fellas, (laughs) Let's just say it what let's call it what it is. Go for the valedictorian of junk trimming. 
and join the two million men, two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code JED, that's J-E-D. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping of the best junk trimming products on earth. Go there now, manscaped.com, promo code JED, and get your deal today. Your record is intact, sir. Still batting a thousand. That was that was one take. Uh, I, I feel like you sped through valedictorian. The the way it is on my screen, it's valedictorian. Luke. Luke. I mean I'm just but That's you know. true. That's exactly how it reads. How close were you to being a, a valedictorian? Oh, I probably only missed it by about three grade points. Okay. I, my 1.0 or 1.3 probably missed the 4.3 that got it. <laughs> so I didn't miss it far. Didn't miss it by much. No, it wasn't bad at all. I could see I could see you being really engaged in school. Yeah, I was uh, I was engaged in racing and basketball. <laughs> um, that's really all I cared about. And well, I was a solid C student, Luke. I was uh, you know trying to see my way out of there, and uh, <laughs> I did just enough to pass. <laughs> it's um, racing and basketball. It's good to hear that some things never change. Yep, <laughs> still the same. Oh, <laughs> uh, we've got a good show on tap. I believe we a lot of racing to catch up on. A uh, big dollar bracket racing, a bunch of big dollar bracket racing, and a bunch of different venues. Uh, quite a bit of NHRA action to catch up on as well. Points updates. Um, but I, I kind of want to circle back, like uh, same place, same time. Like it was, it was great to see you. We had we had fun. It was a good getaway, and it was great to catch up. And I I I do. I want to give you this opportunity because now that it's Facebook official, the world knows, congratulations are in order, Big Jed. Well, Luke, I appreciate that. Um, Any of my Facebook friends uh, have figured out by now that uh, my beautiful wife, Jenny, and uh, myself are um, expecting. Well, really, she's just expecting, and uh, I'm uh, I'm just an innocent stand uh, stand by watcher or whatever you'd call it but i'll just be waiting for the baby to show up basically is what i'm trying to say but uh bystanders what i was trying to say but anyway uh yes we are uh we are with child and uh do march 14th um you know i can't help but think manscaped had a had a part in that as well uh, <laughs> uh, i think i i think i became just a little more attractive and because of manscape so if, if uh, any of you are out there trying to make babies you know do yourself a favor go to manscape.com and use promo code jed but all kidding aside luke uh, we're super excited uh, this was something that uh, we've been trying to accomplish now for over a year and um you know that's a, it's been quite a roller coaster for my wife and i and certainly uh, super excited came came from our uh, eight-week doctor appointment today actually uh, where we got the ultrasound and got a heartbeat oh, and uh, everything was told to us that it was just perfect as it can be so we're really excited and, and just can't wait for march and i appreciate the opportunity to, to share that with the listeners great to hear man i'm excited for you i think our listeners can hear it in your voice um but both from you and jenny getting it in person uh, i can tell you guys are just giddy and excited and rightfully so uh, i'm fired up for you man congratulations well, I appreciate that, my friend. All right. Um, I think we're ready. Let's jump right into this. we got a lot to cover. Um, I would say that we've got a little bit of time, but longtime listeners know better than that. We'll, we'll talk as long as we want to talk. Um, <laughs> but without further ado, let's jump right in. Um, but first, BJ North. You 
Jed, we took a week off, and we have a lot to catch up on. There was racing in every corner of the country for big money, for big points, for everything else. Um, I'm not 100% sure where to start. We usually start with the biggest story, and I think that's arguable uh, on this week's show. But I'm going to start with Jeff Sarah, because Jeff Sarah is on fire, Big Jed. Yeah, you know, Jeff, uh, he always seems to to make some noise when he's on a big stage but he is just making steady noise right now it just seems to get win after win after final after final you know he is uh, definitely the hottest racer i think right now in in big money bracket racing so two weeks ago jeff sarah at the uh, triple threat event at Virginia Motorsports Park wins the $75,000 to win main event. This comes a few months on the heels of Jeff Sarah winning uh, the main event at the first triple threat series event, which was not as lucrative. I think it was a $20,000 to win event and obviously comes what uh, nine months on the heels of him winning uh, the, the, the largest actual take home purse uh, in drag racing history at the Great American Guaranteed Million in Memphis. That in and of itself, really impressive. Well, Jeff and essentially that whole high roller elite racing community traveled, uh, what, a few hours south down the East Coast from Virginia Motorsports Park two weeks ago to Collat this past weekend for the Loose Rocker St. Patrick's in July $300,000 race. And Jeff Sarah is in back-to-back finals there. $40,000 to win events. He fell in both finals. So it was a win at Virginia, back-to-back runner-ups at Collat. But in an eight-day span to stage up in three final rounds, and the smallest one was a $40,000 to win final. Um, I don't know, Jed. We have seen obviously over the years and and even in recent times racers get red hot uh on a run like that i don't know like if we if we don't count say steve cisco's performance at last year's um million in michigan where he he wins the uh the million dollar race and then comes back a day later and wins a hundred grander in a different car if we throw that out of the conversation i don't know that i can think of many racers who have gotten that hot in in a condensed period of time for that rich of a purse we were talking 240s and a 75 grand or three finals in eight days yeah that's extremely stout obviously luke that um that's an understatement by far but you know i think um it it obviously didn't expand over two different events or two weeks but michael carpenter uh, last year, getting the back-to-back fifties—that's a—that's uh, a huge true. deal. Um, yes, yeah, that's true. That's and he won both of them, so that's uh, that's a huge deal. Jeff, to to go racer of the year status, so to speak, you know, he needed to probably get one or two of those win lights, but still making those finals, whether you won or run it up, is uh, is an incredible accomplishment and just another testament to how talented that guy is. He's a, he's quiet. He doesn't say much, doesn't like to talk. Um, you know, doesn't, doesn't do a lot of posting on the internet to let you know his results. 
He's just one of those Nick Hastings kind of guys that just shows up, does his thing, and gets to finals a lot. So uh, he, he's he's obviously the hottest racer right now in terms of of how many win lights he's turning on. But um, I'd like to like to see Jeff finish one or two more of those uh, the next time he's on a roll like that. And and, and you know this will be one of those seasons you just mark down as as incredible and uh, history making season. Yeah, I mean, think about the way that we're talking about this. If those two final round win lights on the 40 Granders come on, he's runner up to Gary Williams at day one at Galat. He's runner up to Lester Atkins on day two. If those are both wins, I mean, that's really elite, uh, elite territory. You you mentioned Michael Carpenter. That's a good one. I was trying to think of, of racers that I just thought dominated. And, and, and single weekend events come to mind, like obviously John LaBoose Jr. at, at the inaugural fling right nearly running the whole table winning three days in a row was insane um i think back way back to the the og 50 which uh mid michigan motorplex another race that that happened last weekend that, that we'll talk about momentarily the one year that it paid 100 grand matt driscoll won everything they had there like won the first 10 grander won the 100 grander i think the only race that he didn't win was the last day and he left like he didn't remember run the last day <laughs> so yeah i mean and i just i don't I, I hope that this isn't taken out of context because I don't want to disparage what anybody else is doing, whether it's off the bottom bulb or in a door car or what have you. Like racing is freaking hard, especially in this day and age, right? And if you dominate on any level, it's incredibly impressive. But I'll say this, coming through the dragster side, and I'm not trying to say like it's harder to come through the dragster side. I'm just saying you look at the runs and the packages and it's tighter. Now you can argue like it's easier to make good runs in a dragster, which is true, but there's so little margin for error and the level of parity is just unprecedented, like nothing we've ever seen. To see one driver continually get through that, uh, that minefield against the best of the best in the country, basically three days in a row against the top competition that our sport has to offer it's not lost on me like it's a i think that is as impressive a performance as i've seen in recent years yeah i wouldn't disagree with that luke and and to dumb down what you're what you're trying to say here um the the dragster side while uh, it might be a little easier to make the kind of run you're trying to make in a dragster. Obviously it, it is for your opponent as well. The likelihood of you lining up against the guy with a single digit package on the dragster side is, is a little bigger or it's a, it's a little higher percentage than it is on the door car side. So, you know, Jeff, while talented and, and obviously, um, capable of, of going to final rounds on the big stage, you would just think, I mean, a guy's just going to run into that at some point, and it's just the run you can't beat. You know, somebody lays down that four, five, six pack, and you just can't beat it making a, a very good run. So uh, what, what Jeff is accomplishing and, and uh, being able to avoid those types of runs is, is truly remarkable. And, um, you know, I'd like to see his his tickets because I would guess somewhere along the line he's beat the run you can't beat here uh, yeah. and there. 
I saw a couple of those. And, and I mean, it's like any other race. Like, it's not like he was invincible. I, I think he got away with a, a high teen or maybe even a 20 occasionally. But I did yeah. see a couple runs where his opponent's eight total and his wind light's not on, you know? Yeah, those suck. Right. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll circle back, and, and we've got a lot more um, specifically on Galat. But I did want to transition um, back to the aforementioned, the OG50, as, as I would call it, the, the Mid-Michigan Motorplex World Super Pro Challenge. It is, um, I, I think, even, in, yeah, even including the, the OG Million. I think at this point, the World Super Pro Challenge is the longest-running consecutive um, big dollar bracket race in the land race has a ton of history it's interesting i'll get into a little bit into this like how its place in the racing landscape has changed over the years because the event is largely unchanged um but what i what i thought was always one of the most intriguing storylines around the og50 is that this was the 28th annual in 27 prior events there had never been a repeat winner of the $50,000 main event. And the roster of champions is, it's a who's who of sportsman drag racing. I mean, you're talking Jason Lynch, John LaBoost Jr., Edmund Richardson, Gary May, Stephen McCrory, um, just on down the line, John Kyle, Ricky Adkins, Jeff Strickland, Matt Driscoll, right? I mean, definitely a who's who, but nobody had ever won it twice. And on paper, you would think, if you were a betting man, Jed, you would bet that that continued this year. And you say, why? Well, the aforementioned race at Galat had the majority of that traveling hitter crowd was chasing the bigger money at Galat. So you think, okay, well, this is a year that, you know, some of the locals, some of the, that regional crowd is going to sneak up. Well, that's why I'm not a betting man, Jed. Not only did Aaron McCullough become the first repeat winner of the OG 50. The final round was a pair of former winners. It was Aaron McCullough getting the win over uh, Matt Cornell. So uh, that's that, that's where my thinking gets here, right? McCullough, it's interesting. McCullough won this race in 2001, so 20 years ago. And I remember that event. Um, it put Aaron McCullough on the map. I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I didn't know who Aaron McCullough was prior to that event, right? I, racers around Norwalk and Central Ohio certainly knew of Aaron. I did not. And he won it amid, like, in, a, in an odd way that created a, a bit of controversy and I think um, dictated a lot of the, the rules that we see today. If I'm not mistaken, Aaron won that race in a, in a slow door car um, and was deep staging with a delay box. And yep, I remember that you could you could probably articulate this better than I I did. Like there is some thought to the idea that um, like rollout is actually more consistent deep stage than shallow stage. But the controversy really came in the fact that not all of Aaron's opponents like realized that he was going deep, and it just created some odd odd situations on the starting line as you might imagine and hence the ruling basically since that at the vast majority of uh, big dollar bracket races now that's changed a little bit with uh, the the inclusion of no box and, and foot brake cars kind of in the main event but by and large like you can't deep stage at races like this and that all changed when Aaron McCullough won that 50 like it was kind of a it was a trend setting deal it was definitely a topic of discussion 20 years ago my my larger point was that race really put Aaron McCullough on the map and Aaron's had a very distinguished career behind the wheel 
but in recent years um kind of disappeared from the sport more or less right like i haven't seen aaron in years i see his name resurfacing some this season and i feel like he comes back to the og 50 with um little fanfare with little expectations kind of similar to the boat that he was in 20 years ago and once again drives the victory becomes the first racer to win that prestigious and historic main event on two separate occasions yeah huge accomplishment for aaron and and as you mentioned you know did it 20 years ago luke and when aaron did that and he, you said it right by that race putting him on the map you know in 2001 outside of the million this was the the biggest thing you could go to i mean the the 50 in michigan was you know just a, an iconic event still is because of the the tenure of it and how long it's it's remained on the on the racing schedule but back then it was it was just you know an unbelievable purse that you could go race for and again only thing that rivaled it was the million itself so the og million so aaron coming back 20 years later doing it again uh we know and we learned it in 2001 and have continued to learn it over the years we know how talented aaron is he doesn't get out and travel a whole lot uh came to the million what uh two three years ago uh and made a huge final round there uh where i i, I got to interview him very humble man um highly accomplished uh, well known in the the part of the the country that he races in primarily and you know it's great to see guys like that continue to to put their name um as you have listed here back on the map but uh this guy's uh this guy's just one of those guys that you like to see win Aaron McCall is just a good dude and and uh really really happy for him and pretty cool that both finalists were previous winners of this event and you know obviously putting their name on there twice was a or putting someone's name on the list twice was a guarantee in that final uh, Cornell obviously uh come up a little short there but good to see uh, not picking winners but good to see Aaron McCullough be the guy that, that got to do that because uh I, I really like that guy a lot it's it's interesting Jed thinking back um over the history of of this event you could make the argument that those two guys won perhaps the most if not two of the more memorable events in $50,000 history like I can picture both of those events McCullough because he was deep staging in 2001 and nobody had seen that before and then Matt Cornell if you remember it was probably six-ish years ago I could pull up the flyer that Cornell won I believe he beat Nick Folk in the final and it was like the fog bowl you couldn't see the scoreboards on the 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 video from the starting line it was so foggy and so that always sticks in my mind like those are two really memorable moments at the 50 and have those two guys return uh to to square off knowing that one of them would become the first repeat winner pretty cool i do want to uh circle back to jed on just you had you had mentioned it like this event's um place in the sport because when this like and let's be honest the first 50 1994 i mean that's before my time and in my mind like that was uh i think without question the the richest event of that time and i really i remember following it uh, that I'd, I'd been 13 years old like i remember reading about it in the old drag news magazine and thinking like it's that race and the moroso five day like those are the the pinnacle bracket events in the country and then 
you had the OG million and it was probably for several years it was those three and even up to a decade ago Jed we had half a dozen races a year that would pay $50,000 or more to win and that was one of them you know that was one of the the, the grand slam so to speak of, of big dollar bracket racing and now as we've talked about on numerous occasions like I mean this thing is blown up like now you can race for 50 grand like every weekend if you want to and that event I think still absolutely has its luster just because of the history but it's interesting how the the feel around that has changed like I'll give you an example we were there last year we didn't get an opportunity to go to this season obviously on vacation um, I was there last year and I was talking with Troy and Gary Williams and Gary basically said like this race is a long way from home like but this is one I put on the calendar for fun and it's that's like that atmosphere is awesome like it in it and it still feels the same as it did probably what, 20 years ago when I first went but it's not like the cutthroat oh god we this is you know one of the few times this year we get to race for this type of money and Gary alluded to that he's like it's probably more cost effective for me to race elsewhere and, and maybe pick a, a race over this one but I just come up here because I really enjoy it and it's really fun and I feel like that uh, kind of aura around the event has changed pretty considerably when the event itself is essentially untouched like it's it's basically the same four-day event that it's been for 20 years right but the 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 market around it has changed so much that it's got uh, a little bit of a different feel, but certainly it's the same prestige and I think the same aura about it. Yeah, I think it still means a lot to to racers all around the country, Luke, and and I think people put it on their schedule and quit looking at that point. They they're not even looking at what else uh, could compete against it or with it uh, to see where they might want to go on that weekend. That's just they're going to mid Michigan and they're going to race with the Ledford family and hats off to the Ledford family for what they've, you know, kept alive this long and, and kept on people's schedule and made it, you know, an important race to people, 300 plus entries this year, incredible car count in your 28th year and not knocking their promotion effort whatsoever, Luke. So I don't want people to take this wrong, but it's kind of, you look at this race and you kind of just, you kind of can see that, that they made it. I mean, this, the, the, the 50 in Michigan has made it because the promotion effort for this race is nothing like what you see for a lot of other events. It's just, you know, these events are in your face over and over and over and in your line of sight. And the Michigan 50 is like, I guess Michigan 50 is in a couple of weeks. We hope to see you there. Um, and 300 plus racers show up. So it's that's when you the- know you've made it. Yeah, no, to your point, it's one of the rare events that promotes itself because it has been the staple. It has been the same event. It's been the same weekend for as long as I can remember. Like the first week of August, you go to Michigan, you race 50. You know, I mean, that's and and it's a and it's a cornerstone and it's rare in this day and age that you get a race with that type of following, that type of history, that type of loyalty that essentially promotes itself. And, and obviously the proof's in the pudding, 300 plus cars yet again uh, in the main event this season. Um no, it's, it's cool. I, I wish I had been there. It's one of my favorite races on the schedule. Yeah, I'd like to make it one day myself. So we talked about um, how many races there are that are 
that magnitude or bigger. So let's circle back to the biggest event on the schedule this past weekend, and that is the St. Patrick's in July uh, 300K, which ended up being a 200K, a little bit more on that later, um, at Galat. Your big winner there, uh, although I, I, I still feel like Jeff Serra owned the weekend, he did not win the main event. The main event winner was Doug Foley Jr., who had himself a day and had himself a week as well uh, at the same event that we were talking about with um, that Jeff Serra won the twenty won the uh, seventy five grand at Virginia. Doug Foley also won the first day of that event, thirty thousand dollar windfall, which was just an appetizer for what he was getting ready for. Uh, wins the main event at Galat, driving Jeff Burns as Huffer Dragster. Not only does he win the main event, uh, not only does he defeat Kyle Coltrera in the final, another amazing uh, and, and extremely accomplished young driver, Foley was doubled at seven in the main event, uh, just making great runs in two different cars, uh, one in Burns' car, lost at seven cars in his own car. Um, that's no easy feat at any event, much less an event of that magnitude. Jed, much less with the conditions present at Galat, like obviously I wasn't there, you weren't there, but everything that I saw and everything I heard was it was brutal hot, um, miserable hot. And you're doubled, two different cars, running around in that heat. And then I think the other portion of this is, I don't know if you've ever driven a blower car, Jed, they generate a lot of heat. Like it's just, it's hot to drive a blower car when it's 40 degrees outside. I can't imagine what Doug was going through. Forget the mentally, emotionally, like you're racing for a ton of money and there's a ton of pressure, but just physically, that, that, that's a pretty incredible accomplishment to roll through what would have to be, let's see, seven cars probably would have been seventh round. So you're talking 14 runs, like 16 runs in the span of, what, 10 hours? Like, it's... I would never go so far as to call sportsman drag racers athletes, but that's hard on you, man. Luke, uh, just sit back and relax for a second. I'm, I'm going to talk okay. for a minute here. All right, so go. Let's, let's hear this it. totally unscripted. And we'll get back to Doug Foley here in just a moment. But you asked, or you said, I don't know if you've ever driven a blower car. Well, I have driven a blower car. Okay. All right, um, let's go. It was a little 144 BNM or WN or whatever it is uh, blower on a on a Malibu I had, and it shifted on the on a, it was a three speed you know turbo 350 trans. I shifted on the column, went uh, went 780s in this unit and drove it to the races everywhere I went, and uh, I won races with that blower. I am probably Luke. Now I don't I don't mean to toot my own horn. We're about to talk about a guy that just won two hundred thousand dollars. But I'm probably the only guy you know that has won a race on alcohol, on gas, with a blower, with injectors, and with a Predator carburetor. I've won on all of those. <laughs> like uh, stack injectors? It, oh, yeah. Yeah. Staggered? No, no, no they, were, they're straight. They, were, they were straight up. Uh, <laughs> But I've won on all that. I've won. I've won on multiple fuels, uh, uh, different injection systems. Uh, I've won a race with a toilet, and I'm talking about the kind you put on your intake—a flying toilet. I've won races with all of that, and I'm probably one of the few guys you know that has that with the Predator on the list. I won bracket races uh, in the uh, in the late '80s, early '90s with the Predator carburetor on a, a guy's car I used to drive. So, again. 
not trying to take my own horn, but that's just accomplishments that everybody don't have. Now, <laughs> speaking of accomplishments that everybody don't have, Doug Foley. I mean, this guy is on fire. We've talked about on fire, Jeff, Sarah, and and the, all the final rounds that he's going to. But now you're talking about a guy that's winning them, Luke, and and $30,000 win at BMP. You come back, you got seven cars left, and you're two of them for $200,000. And then you go finish that off against arguably one of the most talented bracket racers in the country and a guy that continues to show up on the big stage. Kyle Cotrera, talking about quiet guys that show up on the big stage. This guy just, you know, he don't, he don't get out to to every race, but when he does, by George, he makes a lot of noise. And Kyle Contreras is a tough out. And Doug Foley got by him for two hundred thousand, and got a quarterfinal finish with the other entry. Six total in the final. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. And and coming, you know, off the heels of a of a big thirty thousand dollar win at BMP. So that's the kind of guy that you know you want to be you want to be turning on those wind lights again we talk about hot drivers and still i say jeff sarah's having the better run recently with what he's accomplished from a wind light standpoint but doug foley huge win it you know it, this guy needs you know he doesn't need to to have a big win to get on anybody's list of great racers but these things propel you up the list tremendously and another huge accomplishment by him just extremely well done by doug foley and great to see him get that done that's a that's a cool dude i tend to agree with you jed if, if forced to to rank performances i i think i put sarah's even just a notch above but um you know what would argue with that doug foley's bank account doug foley's performance <laughs> yeah. probably a little bit more lucrative um the, the big winners at Galat outside of Doug Foley, I think we mentioned earlier, Gary Williams, Lester Adkins, and then uh, top 10 name, perhaps standout, like alone, standalone top name, Holden Dial, uh, won the last 40 grander there. And those are all familiar names. Certainly, Gary speaks for himself, like uh, he's on Mount Rushmore. The others, very familiar names in the bracket racing community, certainly not their first dance on the, on the big stage. Uh, no surprise to see them win. But I would argue that the runner-ups throughout were um, quote-unquote like bigger names. Uh, it was Gary Williams over Jeff Serra. Uh, Jeff Serra again runner-up, Kyle Cotrera runner-up, and then on that last day Chris Galitti runner-up. And I just think it's it's interesting from a, a, a context standpoint how if those if the final rounds were flipped I feel like and, and flipped um, constantly enough throughout the season I feel like it's very easy to, uh, for the average racer to look at these big dollar results and say, man, it's the same dozen guys that win every time. Like, I don't even, I don't even know if I want to be part of that. And just one result flips and you've got more common, like, I don't know, these guys that won, I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Like they're awesome, awesome racers, but they're not those 12 names. And I just feel like it changes the whole perception of the entire event. And it makes people feel like, okay, I can go there and I can be competitive. And ultimately, as much as I hate to say this, because at times, certainly in my career, like I felt like I was one of those 12 guys. So it kind of pains me to say, but I, I think broadly speaking, it's good for the sport that it's not the same names week in and week out. Oh, there's no doubt, Luke. You you want you want fresh winners. You, you want to keep that 
rotation in there, that name rotation going and see some new names in the winter circle. Um, from the outside looking in, you know, the, the average bracket racer that is thinking about going to something like this, it definitely uh, helps their decision when they see. Uh, I guess, um, I don't know how you categorize it, but a little more normal uh, type racer winning these as opposed to the traveling big money bracket racer. So there's no doubt whatsoever it's good for the sport. And, you know, I think if those guys continue to go and fill the pits, you know, your average Joe's, so to speak, as they continue to go and fill the pits, that happens more and more often because the great racers are great racers. They are and always will be, and they're going to win their share. But when you stack the numbers a little heavily in favor of average Joe's, then they're going to get their share of wind lights as well and, and share those spotlights. So I think uh, definitely is great for the sport. Uh, we mentioned earlier that the the main event of the St. Patrick's in July, 300 grander, it didn't actually pay 300 grand. It was ended up paying $200,000 to win. Um, because the the car count wasn't there it didn't meet the purse minimum um and to be completely uh transparent like it wasn't ever like a guaranteed 300 grander right like it, i think the loose rocker staff was very very transparent i'll get more into that later it brought up an interesting question though. a friend of mine asked me this this morning jed and i thought it was i thought it was a fun discussion or debate to have here so in this age of these huge events, uh, whether they're quote-unquote guaranteed or not, right? Uh, it feels like promoters everywhere are in a race to, to who can put the biggest number on a sheet of paper, right? Like, this is what we're racing for to win, whether it's uh, $100,000, $300,000, $500,000, a million dollars, right? Um, in the event that in the vast majority, if not all of these events, are, are typically pre-entry. So, the promoters and depending on how transparent they are with the pre-entry list the racers as well know coming in like okay uh this race is sold out or this race doesn't is is barely going to have enough cars to be profitable or oh boy the promoter's in trouble here right so strictly from a racer standpoint jed if you are entered in a huge purse event that is obviously short on cars to pay that full purse would you rather that the promoter pull the plug completely, cancel the event, refund the money, at least in most cases, or implement a solution similar to what Lou Schrocker did this weekend where, okay, we're basically prorating the purse. We're not going to make any money as promoters. We're going to basically put 100% of the money back into the purse, but it's not going to pay what, uh, you know, the, the flyer said it paid on a best case scenario. Like, what would you prefer as a racer? Well, most definitely the the method that loose rocker uses um i'd i'd prefer that 100 times out of 100 um you know your investment in a race you you definitely always base that on what you could potentially win if you are the last racer standing but reality is if you can earn your money back you try to figure out how long it would take you to earn your investment back and that doesn't really change with Loose Rocker's format. Uh, you still would earn your money back at kind of the same point in the race. So 
I, I love the way they do it. I think it's a great model that they use. And certainly as a racer would prefer that every single time. I would too. Um, I, I think I, I, I was going to question you, but I think you're right. A hundred times out of a hundred. Like I, I was trying to think of, of specific instances where I would say like, ah, just give me my money back. I don't, I don't think that there's that instance. And so from a racing standpoint, like it just may, leads me to believe that perhaps for, for two decades now, like the most important word in big dollar bracket racing was the word guaranteed. I think if you've got trust in your promoters, which if anyone warrants trust, it's the loose rocker crew, right? I think I'd almost rather um, in the event of this, like just do the best that you can do. And I trust that it's going to be right. And obviously they're going to be very transparent about it. Um, and then from a broader standpoint too, like I don't mean to call out any specific race, but say juxtapose this situation with the, the SFG 500. Um, which obviously they elected to pull the plug completely. Um, forget the racer standpoint because there's travel involved, there's vacation time involved, even if you don't necessarily make it to the event before you realize that it's that it's canceled. Um, like it throws a wrench in the plans. It's, it's inconvenient at the least. But what about the racetrack? I mean, you have committed a significant date you know, that, that could otherwise produce revenue. And then that race doesn't happen. We pull the plug completely and the track's kind of left holding the bag. Now, in the specific case of the SFG event, that was at US 131 at Motorsports Park in Martin, Michigan. And they've obviously had a long and um, fruitful relationship, right? Like the SFG has made that racetrack a lot of money over the years. So I, I feel like you get a pass there. But just think about the opportunity cost. Like, there is no doubt that that racetrack could have done something that weekend that produced perhaps pretty significant revenue. And as a result of basically having this event booked, having it canceled within a week or two of the event, now the racetrack's not making any revenue either. Like, uh, from, from so many various standpoints, I think this is the better way to handle it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's actually a, a factor that I didn't think about that, uh, you know, the racetrack's kind of left in the dark. And I, I, when SFG did pull the plug and, and totally understandable what their their reasoning was, I remember seeing Joanne from Motormania TV post, uh, we're, we're almost there. Like, you know, they were, they were within a little bit of pulling in the gate from uh, South Georgia. Uh, in in Michigan so there are a lot of other factors and a lot of other um, unknown punishment that happens right. to people when you pull the plug so uh, again just another reason why I would prefer to to do it the loose rocker way I think they I think they stay transparent Michael does a really good job of making sure everybody kind of knows the plan and and what they're going to do in this scenario or that scenario um they're upfront, honest do everything they say they'll do and more I, I just really think they've got a good model for others to to follow and you know quite frankly i think you and i both are on record as saying this day and age 
we would prefer to pay a little higher entry fee and race against less people totally. and, and get out of these marathons. So while you're not racing for the, the full purse that's potentially out there when the car counts a little lower for me, I'm, you know, I'm thinking there's less people there. We're going to get these races wrapped up. I can go even get a steak or I can meet my buddy Luke at the, at Doc Seafood and you get the, <laughs> the, the best fried shrimp in the civilized world. So I, uh, I'm all for that. And that's the, that's the kind of racing that I want to do these days. So, um, you know, that we think about this the same way. I still think that we perhaps are in the minority, but yes, a hundred percent. And just to clarify, like, I don't mean, I didn't mean to make this into a conversation, um, just completely given Michael Beard and Anthony Walton their flowers. Right. But they do deserve it. I, 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 I yeah. think your point here is <clears throat> they handled the situation the way that I would want to handle, at least to the best of my knowledge, obviously I wasn't there as a racer. And not only were in my opinion, they very fair about it. They were also very transparent about it. And just as a as a note, like what they did, um, I believe that the 40 granders were guaranteed to begin with. I, I could be wrong there. It was just the big race. And they kept all of the round money completely intact. And uh, my understanding is paid back 100% of the entry fees with the, the remaining balance once the round money was paid, paid on top. And that's what—that's how they got to the two hundred thousand dollar win purse. Might have fudged it a little bit one way or another just to make it an even clean two hundred grand. Um, but I just—I don't think, as a racer, you could ask for any more than that. Not only the—the the, I think fairness of it, the spreading the wealth of it, but also just how open and transparent they were about it. Like I just—I feel like if you're going to put on a race like this. It's a little bit different than the the model that we're used to, but I'm I, I'm beginning to be more convinced that this is the model. Like if you want to do this, take a hard look at what they did here and and probably emulate that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, again, there's it's out there. It's it's transparent. There's great communication from the promotion team to the to the racers that have entered and the racers that are thinking about entering uh it lets you know exactly how they're going to handle some things and their model allows you to return your investment back in full at the same point in the race that you would have done that otherwise really the only i use the word punish loosely because it's you're not getting punished when you win a couple hundred grand but the only racers that uh you know get something other than what the the full potential is or the the few guys that are collecting the biggest dollars in the end and quite frankly that's the ones that that should be uh shorted if you will for lack of a better word so love their model and and i think as you stated it's a uh, it's okay to to look at that and emulate it as you're putting on events in the future if uh if you've run into these types of scenarios and they've impacted your events. I think on the whole, like a really good weekend for big dollar bracket racing, like <clears throat> this particular event fell short of the, the, the full field, you know, to pay the, the total purse, but it still had what close to 300 entries had over 300 entries at the OG 50 in Michigan had like 150 ish at the 15 granders at Pittsburgh. Plus, 
you know, other racers scattered across the country. And let's face it, it's July. It's freaking hot. I felt like half of the civilized world was in South Alabama where we were on vacation, right? Like it's a time At of year. Least. The the it sure seemed that way. Uh, yeah. In the in the summer months, like. I, I, I used to have this perception that like summer was a great time because you know things slowed down, and then I had kids, and like the summertime is everything's packed in, and there's I don't know there's a lot competing with the uh, with races for the the entertainment dollar right. So to see all of those races succeed, and what what do we have seven hundred plus entries at just those three events, you know, at the very highest levels of our sport. I think it's safe to say that while um, there's probably it's fair to have some concern at the at the highest levels. I don't know that we'll see a year that you know sees multiple you know half million dollar races ever again, or certainly in the in the foreseeable future. But to see multiple events at that end of the spectrum all successful, like bracket um, racing's not going anywhere. Like this thing's thriving, still thriving. No, it's doing very well. Uh, as you mentioned, that's that's good attendance, real good attendance, and and some races that you know pound on the pocketbook pretty good. Uh, so right. that's a, that's a testament to where bracket racing is and how strong it is right now. Uh, so super super happy to see that there was good turnouts at those events. But you know, look and. Here I am, a race promoter, fixing to say this. So people are going to say, "Practice what you preach." But I, I would like to see some more models of not so top-heavy events. I'd like to see some more, you know, twenty to win, ten runner-up, five in the semis. Let's take a let's take a really big purse, and and get those numbers closer together in those late rounds, you know, rounds five to nine or whatever they are and make the, make the racers not feel like they necessarily have to have discussions. No, I think that's long overdue and we're beginning to see a bit of a changing in the tides there. And, and actually, uh, the loose rocker gang is probably at the forefront of it like their fat five format and even this race a lot like it's still it was still very top heavy but the round money and payback is as good as you would see anywhere and then you see races like um i don't even remember what they call it but norwalk's labor day event that i think they're 40 granders to win but i yeah i believe they're 20 to runner up and the payback yes. is ridiculously high right yeah. and even um sfg's next event like the no split nationals is very much structured in that way like they basically took the your typical purse and then the typical split and basically made the first the, the purse the split like i think i would like to think that as racers perhaps we're getting smarter because i felt like for years all that any of us looked at was okay what does it cost me to enter and what's it pay to win yep and the rest of it was irrelevant right and there's obviously more to a good race than that and hopefully we're, we're beginning to see that i would personally especially from a racer standpoint i'm with you i would love to see more races structured in a way that the the last 10 or 16 finishers all got a pretty good payday and didn't have to worry about splitting up the purse because it was great yep i'd like to see some more of that i know that that as you mentioned there is a movement in that direction and we're seeing some of that but 
I would like to see uh, like to see those type of races pop up a little more often in the future. Um, I've got some NHRA stuff I want to touch on before I do. Just some cleanup, some quick notes because there were so many big bracket races around the country. Some of the top performers I thought were worth mentioning. Uh, how about my buddy Jason Lynch? Back-to-back wins over the past two weeks. He won, I believe it was an engine race uh, for, a, for a Wilson engine at the ACE event at Dragway 42 two weeks ago. And then backed that up. Uh, that was in the door car, by the way. I believe that was in the Chevy 2. Backed that up this past weekend with a $15,000 win at the 660 Nationals in Pittsburgh. Um, by the way, in that final round in Pittsburgh, um, the 15 grander that Jason Lynch won, he defeated Pete Dagnolo in the final that should be a familiar name on the podcast. We were just talking about Pete's domination of uh, competition eliminator at the Jag Sports Nationals and Speed Week in Columbus. Uh, we were ranking uh, Pete's chances to win the competition eliminator world championship. He's also won a national event this year in Superstock. Um, in a in a day and age where, if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me harp on how much I miss the versatility of years gone by. Pete Dagnolo, pretty versatile dude. Top ball, bottom ball, um, uh, long track, short track, competition eliminator is its own animal. Like That's a very, very talented dude that seems to do it in, in whatever he, he gets into. Yeah, I'm kind of sick of that guy too, much okay. like Nick Hastings. Um, <laughs> sick of Pete Dagnolo. I mean, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Look, we can be talking about a bottom ball race. We can be talking about a top ball race, competition eliminator. Like super stock like freaking i mean what are you doing man why you gotta win every stinking thing you go to just pete needs to relax a little bit i mean this guy <laughs> well, he did in the really final. pissing people off lynch beat him so yeah. oh okay well then i take it all back uh no nah, truly uh obviously catfish one of the best to ever do it he's a legend in the sport um as accomplished as you can possibly be Aside from, uh, you know, maybe a million dollar win to his uh, on his resume, but uh, really super happy for Catfish and and great to see him continuing to win thirty plus years in the lanes. And Pete Diagnolo, I mean, this guy's un- unbelievable. He is an incredible talent and must have focus like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, this guy gets in a little bit of everything and continues to just mow them down and turn on wind light after wind light and, you know, win in multiple classes. Uh, another super talented racer that uh, he's a good guy too. So really happy to see that from PDD. Um, just, you know, it, it's big time performances out of him and many different types of race cars. And that just shows a lot of talent and, and, you know, a, a and a, an ability that few possess, Luke. I mean, you're talking about comp cars and then just typical bottom bulb racing and top bulb racing, getting out of car, going to different types of cars. As we've talked about some other racers being able to do that in the past, uh, Pete Diagnolo deserves a lot of credit for what he's accomplishing in so many different types of vehicles. It's just a racer. So I mentioned Jason Lynch between Dragway 42 and Pittsburgh Raceway Park. At those same two events, another familiar name. uh, Made some noise, Chris Bear. 
I believe he was semi at one of the 20 granders at Dragway 42, runner-up one of the 15 granders at Pittsburgh. Thought that was worth mentioning. Uh, our buddy KB, Kevin Brandon, $30,000 winner at that triple threat event at Virginia on day number last. That was in the Monza, by the way. So the, the three big winners at Virginia, uh, Doug Foley Jr., obviously big winner at Galat as well, Jeff Sarah on the main event, 75 grander, and then KB on the last 30. Also, I thought worth noting, Mallory Logan won both junior dragster races, both days, uh, $1,000 to win each day, uh, junior dragster at that triple threat event in Virginia. So congrats to Mallory as well. I ran through those pretty quick. Was there anything you wanted to piggyback on there? No, a heck of an accomplishment by young Mallory Logan there winning both of those uh, junior races. And and $1,000 junior races is a really big deal. So congratulations to Mallory. That's cool. Chris Bear, what else can you say about him? I think you and I both have Chris on our list of of guys that's a threat to win anywhere and everywhere he shows up. Um, He's been our pick a time or two in some of these big races. Uh, Just a really talented racer and then our buddy kb look we like to talk about friends of the show and podcast bumps and those type things uh this is a guy that worked uh, with you on this is bracket racing and, and this is bracket racing elite worked closely with you he's a former guest co-host of the sports and drag racing podcast and just an all-around good dude. Love to see KB turn on wind lights and certainly love to see it when it's, uh, it's a big stage. And that 30K win at VMP was a huge deal for him. So really proud for KB and, and Miss Ivy and that family getting a huge win. And he, he did it, I believe, in the Monza. Yes, he did. That's what I was going to say. Let's be completely transparent, Jed. You like it a whole lot more when he slams that door right before he pre-stages. <laughs> yes, I do like it. That is much more gooder when you slam the door and then turn on the wind light. So great job, KB. Great to see that happen for him. And uh, just, uh, you know, certainly love seeing all these winners. But something special about my boy KB, and I, I like that 30K win. I haven't, uh, I, I've been, I've been mired in NHRA racing and didn't race a whole lot last year. Like I haven't crossed paths with Chris Bear as often as I used to. Is he still singing Sweet Caroline? <laughs> I'm sure he is. I, my, our paths don't cross very often either, but uh, you, you never quit singing Sweet Caroline. Like, <laughs> <laughs> once you sing it one time, you sing it forever. I will never think of that song without thinking of Jim Harrington. Watch Jim Harrington perform yep. that song live at uh shoot i can't think of the name of it right now the piano bar in orlando at pri one year and had the place which was standing room only eating from his hand so, <laughs> yep. Harry. It, it's uh, it's been a flame tradition to sing it in his honor for sure and uh he was one of the greats all right uh flip over to nhra action over the course of the last two weeks um had a number of NHRA races, a couple of national events, a couple of division races. We'll start with the most recent. That would be the Winter Nationals, Pomona, California. The the Winter Nationals, only it was in July and August 1st. I'm going to guess that the mountains weren't snow-capped, Big Jed. <laughs> yeah, probably in, uh, in Lake Tahoe they were, but that's the only place out that way. So, yeah, it, uh, it was different. It was weird seeing the Winter Nationals uh, signs up on the the center of the the racetrack and and you know them calling it the winter nationals and and everybody's just talking about the heat and how hot the track was and how difficult it was so that was a little odd but 
it was really cool that they still called it the winter nats and they and you know the racers got to compete in the winter nationals which is special much like the conditions like a lot uh, it looked hot in pomona and i think no better illustration of that than the top fuel final like justin ashley basically conceded the round because he was he was at a medical conditions it was too hot to race you know, in in layman's terms right so obviously yeah. hot miserable um and kind of like we talked about doug foley jr on just the the physical aspect of doing what he did uh in galat calrizoli similar in pomona he nearly pulled off the double um trying to put his name on that list that i don't have that for you It'd be a great trivia time i think we've done that before but it's been a couple years ago i, I think there's a little over two dozen racers that have doubled in NHRA national event competition. Kyle Rizzoli has not, but he came as close as you could get. Was the stock winner uh, this weekend at Pomona, and then was runner-up in Superstock uh, to Jimmy DeFrank, no less, five-time world champion Jimmy DeFrank. And uh, in, I'm sorry, maybe four. I think it's four-time world champ. Don't let me don't let me misspeak and uh, and diminish Jimmy's accomplishments. Uh, but in that Superstock final, which was the second final for Riz, he had already won stock when he staged up for the final Superstock try and for the double. Uh, he's 31 on the tree, which given his uh, his typical lights, like he'd probably like to have that one back. But 31, not bad. Uh, take eight, great at the finish line. 3,000 needed to take five. So he's literally 3,000 away from joining that illustrious list. And not only was Rizzoli's performance impressive, which I think we've come to expect, um, his route, road to victory in Stock Eliminator couldn't be much tougher. It was a hitter's row that he rolled through in consecutive rounds. He knocked off Jimmy DeFrank, who would later beat him in the Superstock final. Um, that's four-time NHRA world champ Jimmy DeFrank. The very next round defeats five-time NHRA world champ Justin Lamb, then defeats Justin Jerome in the semifinals, and then Brian McClanahan, former NHRA world champ in the final. It doesn't get much tougher than that. Now, Luke, uh, a friend of mine that uh, I do a, a podcast about sports and drag racing with, he had a term that he used when he talked about how you, you look at the people that you're racing against in a heated points battle and you continue to see great racer after great racer turning on wind lights. He had a phrase that he used, and I'm sure Rizzoli, as every time he knocked off one of these world champs, looked up in the next round, he's got another world champ. I'm sure he used that phrase as well uh, <laughs> because this is murderous row. I mean, that is just ridiculous. I mean, you have to say it. That's just like, oh my gosh, what am I, what am I going to do here? I got another one next round. So, yeah. I mean, your wind light comes on against Jimmy DeFrank. Whew, all right. It's got to get easier from here. Justin Lamb. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, but hey, really, that is a tough through. road to hoe, and that, is a, that says a lot about uh, Rizzoli's route to the to the final round win there. That was a tough route. Following the Mile High Nationals in Denver, which I think uh, the last time that we did a show together, we talked about uh, that event where it was Joe and Caleb Moseris earning the rare father-daughter do father double in Denver. Uh they almost did it again, Jed. At Pomona, they both rolled through their respective categories to the semifinal round. Uh, Joe Moseris ended up uh, making the final round in comp, where he was runner-up to Tibor Kadar. His daughter, Kayla, uh, was a semifinalist in Superstock. Like I say, not quite the same result as Denver, but I thought it was pretty notable to wake up Sunday morning and see 
that father-daughter duo uh, vying to do it all over again just two weeks later. Yeah, I agree. Very, uh, very cool thing to see them get that done and put their name on a small list of fathers and daughters to do it. And then to come right back and nearly accomplish that feat again is uh, is really cool. I'm sure they're disappointed that they didn't get it done, but my goodness, you got to reflect back on that and, and look at how incredible that run was over two races and and really feel good about it so great job by uh, by the father-daughter team there and that runner-up for Jim Ozeris who was I believe he was third in the world in competition eliminator last year we kind of did a little bit of a, a comp points breakdown it might have been last episode and I omitted Joe Mozeris from that discussion simply because I didn't realize it was on the radar. He'd only been to a handful of races. He's making a legitimate run at the Competition Eliminator World Championship. To this point, he's been to just five events. He's won three of them. Runner, the, then you add this runner-up at Pomona, and the one quote-unquote bad race that he had was a semifinal. So you can't do much better than that in your first five. Joe Mozeris certainly going to make a run at the Competition Eliminator World Championship. A couple other notes from Pomona. Mike Wiblishauser, winner in Supergas. And you know how I love the box score, Big Jed? Yes, Wiblishauser's box score, impressive. First round, he turns it loose 16. If you throw that out, his worst light is 12. That's on a pro tree in a roadster. Um, and what I thought was impressive and rare was he got better every round. He's 11, 12, 12, then 004 in the semi, 007 in the final, uh, and went in addition to those incredible reaction times, rang it up 90 on the scoreboard in three of the six rounds as well. Uh, he defeated Larry Bradshaw in the final. Uh, really impressive run for Wiblishauser. And then uh, another friend of the podcast, former guest, former NHRA world champion, Paul Nero. Nero nearly swept what I guess we would call the, the, the truncated Western Swing. Uh, I don't believe he was at Denver, but that's Sonoma to Pomona. Uh, run two-week stretch. He was runner-up in Sonoma and then backed that up with a win at Pomona. And you would think, wow, back-to-back finals and top dragster. Like, Nero's got a chance to to repeat as a world champion. And he does. Um, I would say uh, J.R. Baxter's in that group as well uh, with his recent wins at, uh, at win at Topeka, which we'll talk about. Um, but by and, by and large, the over, I wouldn't say overwhelming, the favorite in top dragster is still without question Anthony Bertozzi. Nero and others uh, getting closer, making a run at this, but uh, I think it's safe to say at this point it is still Anthony's title to lose. Yeah, and Luke, back to Wiblishauser, not only the incredible box score and the great runs he was making, but, you know, you look at the the people that he was lining up against. I mean, he had Mike Boehner. He had Steve Williams, Val Torres Sr. Yeah. This guy was facing Former world some... champion Ed DeStout, yeah. Yeah, taking some taking on some serious competition and laying down really stout runs. So great performance there by Mike. And you go back to Paul Nero. Uh, I I can't remember exactly how all that stuff played out, but I do remember Paul Nero was my one and only pick that I got right. <laughs> that's to, to win a holds world a, holds a place that's near and dear to your heart, right? Yeah, to, to win a world championship and uh, and top dragster. So. Paul, uh, Paul, a guy that's near and dear to my heart for sure, because I was terrible at the NHRA picks and Paul made me look like I had some clue of what I was doing, at least for, for a short period of time there. So made you seem you, competent. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> and that was hard to do, Luke. Um, 
double divisional at Topeka uh, just two weeks ago. And I think if we learned anything from that event and uh, that facility, it is that Austin Williams still owns Topeka. Super comp winner in race one, uh, eight round super comp race. He gets the win in race one, comes back in race two, drives to the runner up finish in stock eliminator. Uh, and Austin was seven take 10 in the final of stock. I would take that kind of a bizarre run. Uh, they were both a 10th under. I didn't stutter a 10th under the dial, <laughs> at least in Austin's case, there is a justifiable reason for that. Um, Austin had a heads up in the semi. So obviously you've got the car on kill. I haven't talked to him. I don't know exactly what transpired between semifinal and final but my assumption is you don't have time at that point to change everything back <laughs> to you know bracket trim and I don't the way that most heads up setups are run you don't necessarily want to make multiple runs with like half a quart of oil in it you know or, or whatever the case may be <laughs> for, for heads up so there's some type of in between and obviously Austin didn't know exactly what he could go and at that point the goal is B double O take double O. Well, seven take ten. Like you can't do much better than that, right? So <laughs> it, it, it looks bad on the scoreboard, but I, I think I, I think I understand the uh, the thought process and the strategy coming through for sure. Yeah, I forgot to plug that darn alternator back up. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe didn't get enough oil back in or something. But yeah, I, I, I can see how that happens. I don't want to I don't want to out anybody here, but I'll go ahead and name names. So when I was I mean like 16, 17 years old, I drove a stock eliminator car for for Austin Williams' good friends and mentors, the Heffler brothers, and uh, Jeremy owned the car. But uh, it was when Jeff was racing stock eliminator for Buzz Post, so Jeff was at the race. And uh, I hook a, it might have been my first stock eliminator event. Like it was very, very early on. And uh, I hook a heads up run, second or third round. And the, the opponent, he's literally got me covered like close to a second. I mean, it's, it's a lot. And, uh, but we give it the old college try, right? And we ice it down and drain the oil and this and that. And uh, so, and Jeff's, you know, I don't know anything about any of this, right? And Jeff's helping me through all of this. So we get about ready and he just takes the alternator belt off and, and sticks it under the seat of the car. And I'm like, what do you, what, what do I do there? He's like, well, that's supposed to be on. I'm like, okay. He's like, look, <laughs> he says, this is not going to happen. But if for some crazy reason your wind light comes on, somewhere in the shutdown area, roll the window down and pitch that out. That way, if they look at it, like, I don't know what happened to it. Maybe it's on a racetrack. <laughs> we Great got us a couple idea. hundreds there. And I got, so that made it to where I only lost by eight tenths of a second. I, I did get <laughs> smoked, but I just, that was one of those moments that I'll never forget. So. You know, in those days, Luke, they, they took the picture of the, the final round, like at the finish line. They put that in the National Dragster. <laughs> Were you even in the picture? I wasn't even in the screen. <laughs> Did they have a wide enough angle to get you? <laughs> uh, you know, they just said, whoever wins, he made a single by himself. <laughs> we, uh, I, I mentioned Joe Mozaris earlier, and, and on a previous show, we kind of broke down a little bit of the competition eliminator national championship chase. And I mentioned, like, hey, you can't rule out Bruno Massel. You can't rule out Frank Aragona. Well, Bruno showed up at Topeka. It was his first divisional appearance of the season. He did win day one, so he could be set up to make a run there. I think more notable than that was the man that Bruno beat in the final was Doug Ingalls. Doug Ingalls came back around in race two and got that win. So two finals. If you're looking for a dark horse in competition eliminator, 
It could be Doug Ingles. He's only been to three events now, but obviously two finals, so that's pretty impressive. And then uh, former national champion in the top dragster category, Danny Nelson, also a dual finalist at Topeka, one race one, runner-up in race two. Similar to what I just mentioned uh, about Paul Nero, really strong score that Danny's putting together now, but again, what Anthony Bertozzi has done to this point uh, still makes him the odds-on favorite in top dragster. Yeah, AB obviously looking great uh, as you've mentioned a couple of times, but good to see uh, good to see Danny Nelson back to his winning ways and not terribly far from home. Home's Arkansas for him, so getting out to Topeka and getting his opportunity to compete and getting a win and runner-up is really cool. So good for Danny. He's uh, he's one of the good guys in the sport and been doing it a long, long time. He's definitely a senior and uh, accomplishing what he's accomplishing in a fast class of race cars is pretty cool to see. Uh, that same weekend as the Topeka Double Divisional was the NHRA National event at Sonoma. So that was the, which I guess is traditionally the 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 meat of the Western Swing sandwich. This year, the Western Swing looked a little bit different as it as it ended at Pomona. Uh, but two weeks ago, national event in Sonoma, and Jed, as you as you would imagine, um, our friend Kyle Siples presence was definitely felt uh, at Sonoma. You could see that uh, all over the uh, social media, all over the Winter Circle uh, interviews, uh, etc. Like um, an odd feeling to be having that race without Kyle. Obviously we paid tribute to Kyle on, on last week's show here, um, but that was definitely uh, in the air around that event. I think it was inevitable. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have an event at Sonoma from this point on that, that Kyle's presence True. isn't felt. Uh, he, his, uh, his legacy is all over that place. It's where he grew up. He, he's accomplished a lot there. Then ran it at a very high level while battling such a deadly disease. Uh, Kyle's presence will always be there. And really cool to see his presence in the winter circle as well um you know we're going to talk about that coming up here but uh you're talking about people that he was extremely close to uh making some making a big presence in the the winter circle there yeah i don't know how closely you were following this like i've never wanted something i don't remember wanting something so badly in my life as as he was going rounds I so badly wanted Ted Seipel to win that race. Ted Seipel at a crisp 84 years of age, Jed. 84! Yeah. Pretty sure that's right. I, I pulled up the, the the story that I wrote on Ted from 2011. That's 10 years ago. He's 74. So I'm assuming he's 84 years old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he drove his, uh, his venerable um, Austin Healy, right? Austin? Yeah. Yeah to uh quarterfinals in super gas and i mean i wanted that for him i wanted it for the story like had he been able to turn on three more wind lights i just i feel like the world could have stopped right then and everything would have been in place you know yeah 84 years old obviously the father of of the legend kyle seipel that that left us recently and uh, that's a great story in itself. The fact that Ted has driven that car, Luke, my God, I, I don't know. This is probably his sixth decade of racing that very car and still out there competing in it and still turning on wind lights. It's what a story. And and then you, you tie that in with 
uh, with Kyle's presence being felt there at, at his his track, so to speak, uh, it would have made for an unbelievable story, but it's still quite special uh, with Ted getting as close as he did. Yeah, and as you mentioned before, Kyle's presence definitely felt in the winner circle, none more so than with Marco Paravalaris, um, who was actually a guest on our show last week, uh, sharing some stories about Kyle. And uh, I think I think I even mentioned on the show, like if you were to uh, to pinpoint uh, two of Kyle's um, uh, most successful proteges, it's Justin Lamb and it's Marco Paravalaris, and they were both in the final at Sonoma. Um, Marco nearly doubled, um, was semifinalist in Super Gas. I ended up getting the win in Super Comp. Really special, really memorable win for Marco uh, on a number of levels. Obviously, it's the home track national event win. Those are always cool. Um, it is, uh, what, a month on the heels of, uh, of Kyle passing, and, and I know that that meant something to him. It's also, Marco's had a rough year, man. It's, uh, it's what, five months on the heels of his mother passing. Um, so yeah. I would imagine... And he even mentioned it some in, in his in his social media posts and, and Winter Circle interview. Um, emotions running wild there. I, I think it's a testament to to Marco's talent and uh, mental fortitude to be able to perform the way that he did with with all of that um, you know lurking and, and weighing on your mind. Um, but a really special moment for him and for that family to see him get that win in Supercom. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Back to Justin Lamb, Luke, uh, a guy that we have discussed at length here about how he's uh, accomplished so much at such a young age in this sport. But publicly, he's given credit to to Kyle and the impact that Kyle made on his championship runs in terms of letting him know what the other driver uh, should be able to go or, or the strategy that they're going to employ and then letting Justin know, you know, that, Hey, this humidity's changed this much or the winds changed this much. And this is what you should run and being dead on with it. Uh, Kyle had a knack for that. He had tremendous ability to read conditions and opponents and strategize that to where it gave him or the race he was helping the upper hand so Justin has given him that credit publicly if, uh, several times and, and it's due for sure and then you're talking about Marco uh, Kyle was an absolute mentor for Marco um, I, I think Marco has made it known publicly as well that Kyle really changed his racing uh, career uh, and turned it in a direction of positivity and certainly helped him accomplish a lot that he felt like he might not accomplish without Kyle having taken him under his wing like he did and just you know the impact that Kyle had on people that he was close to and people that he tried to help is obvious still today even while he's gone from us uh, these are tremendous talents that continue to get big win lights and Certainly, um, I think both would tell you today, as, as more people would, that um, Kyle was uh, a huge influence in them and their racing while he was here, and he still is. So, uh, great job by Justin making the final round there and, and a good lap come up short. And then you're talking about Marco Paravalaris and 
this kid is going to put his name down on so many championships and so many wallies and big wins before he's done. He will, he will be a legend in the sport before his time's up. No question. I, I, it's hard to, um, not imagine Kyle looking down on the, on the, uh, particularly the late rounds at Sonoma (laughs) and not smiling uh, for, for a variety of reasons, none more so than that stock eliminator final. So that was unique. And it's Justin Lamb, as you mentioned in his Copo Camaro, uh, staging opposite Shelby Williams. That is the daughter of K&N Steve Williams, former NHRA world champion, Steve Williams, Steve and Kyle, very close. Um, and Shelby's driving the what second generation Camaro that Justin Lamb piloted to his first NHRA World Championship that Kyle Seipel had won a national event in uh, prior. And Shelby lays down, Shelby, 18-year-old Shelby Williams, lays down 14 total, 14 dead zero, to deny Justin Lamb uh, that victory, get her first national event win. And it was actually, I, I saw a report somewhere on the internet that said that with that win Shelby Williams who I believe turned 18 in March this may have even been her first national event she might have run Vegas earlier this year I don't want to misspeak there I'm not sure if she's batting a thousand or not but if she's been to uh, many national events it wasn't more than her second or third right Um, so at 18 years and what three four yeah 18 years roughly four months old uh, it was noted somewhere that Shelby Williams became the youngest female national event winner in NHRA history. I have since learned, Big Jed, that that is inaccurate. She is the third youngest female winner in NHRA national event history. Trivia time. Mm. This is a tough one. It's not gettable for two. You could get one of them. I don't think there's any chance you get two. But could you name or care to guess at the two female winners who won a national event at an age younger than Shelby Williams. Is this limited to sportsman racing? No. Okay. So I have no idea, but I want to say, I have no idea if she was winning races at a young age, but uh, whatever her name was at the time, but Angel. Okay, that's a solid guess. That's wrong, but it's a solid guess. Okay, well, that was a good shot. And okay. um, I don't know, uh, Allie Dahl. Okay, another solid guess that, that that's incorrect, but ah. solid. Um, I ran this by my wife. She had good guesses as well. She guessed uh, Riley Spear, who was Riley Stufflebeam, I believe, when she won her first national event. And she was young, but not that young. Uh, she also guessed Brina Slinger, another guess that's incorrect. The mm, yeah, correct answers. Young Kristen Powell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's the one that I thought was gettable but hard. Yeah, and then the one that, that one I don't think many would get at all. Um, younger sister, I believe younger sister to um, NHRA Top Fuel and Funny Car standout Tommy Johnson Jr. Wendy Johnson. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, her win came in Super Comp just a few years ago, um, but at a very very young age as well. And even now, like. I think it's relatively safe to say that Shelby will be the third youngest female winner of a national event for a long time, simply because in this day and age, you can't enter a national event under the age of 18. Yeah. So had that rule not been in place in, in the past, 
uh, she'd probably be the youngest, but obviously um, that was not always the case. It, it's been a while now. It's probably 10, 15 years that you had to be 18 to run a national event, but I ran a national event at, uh, pretty sure I was 15. I don't even remember how I pulled that off, but I had a hardship driver's license, but I'm almost <laughs> certain I entered my first uh, NHRA national event at 15. Kristen Powell, uh, Royal Purple, maybe, was the sponsor? Yeah, I believe, I think you're on it, yeah. 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 Well, at least I remember that. I, in your defense, that's probably the one of the, the, the I set you up for failure more than I perhaps ever have in, in trivia time. Well, any trivia is setting me up for failure, but <laughs> <laughs> especially in HRA trivia. Well, there's so many more good records for NHRA trivia. I tell you, you I, I'll give you another chance, Jed. Okay. And I, I even named some of them. I, I feel like this is a bit cheating. I've got the flyer in front of me. Don't pull up the flyer. That's cheating. We talked about the World Super Pro Challenge. This was the 28th annual. I don't I was going to say 10. Can you name five previous winners? Uh, that I didn't name. <laughs> uh, James Brown. Yes. Good. Yes. Um, Doing the shuffle. AJ Ash. AJ, yes. Uh, it's two. Man, I feel like Bones won one of those. Or he might have run it up one. I think... I know he's won the surrounding races a number of times, and he may have been a finalist in the main event, but he has not won. That's a good guess, but no. Did Ricky Jones win one? No. He's been close there a bunch, too, in years mm. past, but no. Yeah. Well, I'm out of guesses, but, you know, I did okay. Okay, you got two. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I guess that is all I got. All right, so some other notable names uh, on that list, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to refrain from reading all 27. Jeff Strickland won the first one. Oh, yeah. Of and Strick, that. that's in 94. How old was Strick in 94? He's like, couldn't have been 18 or 20, right? In 94, he probably would have been, uh, I would say Strick's about my age, about 50. So in 94, he would have been 23. Okay. I uh, And back in that day, um, that was long track mid-Michigan. That was quarter mile, 50 grand. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, I think that's the year, I believe, this is, obviously, I was 13 years old. I was not there. Legend has it. I think that's the year that, that Randy Folk parked his rig across the shutdown area to keep anyone from running because Scotty Haas, who I believe ended up being the runner-up to Jeff Strickland, I think this is the same year. It might have been a year or two later. Might Actually, this that might have been the year that William Hamilton won. One of those years, uh, the the legend is that the the great, the one and only Randy Folk, Scotty Haas ran off the end of the track, and they had to do some repairs to the car, and apparently Randy was uh, concerned that they would run the next round without him, and literally parked his rig across the shutdown area to prevent that from happening. That is legendary, Luke. It sounds like Randall. I can neither confirm nor deny I was not there, but that story doesn't sound far-fetched. No, it doesn't sound like something he wouldn't do. Or, uh, <laughs> All right, so a couple, a few of the big names from the OG50, Jeff Strickland, Ricky Adkins, uh, who was uh, runner-up last year. He, he made a run yeah. at becoming the first to, uh, to, uh, to double. Um, John Kyle, this is uh, at the very infancy of becoming a carburetor builder, 1997. Wow. Uh, John Kyle was a racer, won the 50. Um, you mentioned James Brown. Dave Zerlag, 50 grand winner. Doug Heinish. 
uh, Roy St. Dennis, Lane Dickin, Bruce Call, uh, John LaBoose Jr., Champ, Stephen McCrory, uh, G-Dub, Gary May, Ed Nemec. Ed Nemec, yeah, I was, thinking, I was just going to fix and say Ed Nemec. I remember Ed winning it. Chris Stein. Oh, yeah, Stein. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. Man, I'm terrible at any kind of trivia. Mike Brumfield. And the year that Brumfield did it, he he actually passed up a chance to race himself in the final. He had two cars in at four, and I believe I don't think it was on a ladder. Like I think he voluntarily ran himself, if if memory serves, mm. to advance one to the final. And yep. it ended up paying off. He won. But yeah, not sure I, I could do that. But I would have had to try it. I think so too, yeah. I actually, I know I would have had to try it. I've been in that situation. I, if I've told this story before on the podcast, this was actually one of my epic failures in racing. But it's a great story if you want to hear it. So, I'm, I'm definitely all ears. Back in the DragRaceResults.com series heyday, so we're talking like 2006, 2007. Um, I decided to fly to Pennsylvania. And uh, I hooked up with my good buddy Chris Wilson and Chris Reynolds and uh, flew up there and drove one of Chris Reynolds' dragsters at Maple Grove and like uh, three fives or something like that. And on the last day of the event, I had two dragsters in the semifinals of the five grander, plus I had my rental car in the semifinals of Footbreak, No Box, whatever it was, right? And within, okay, so let me preface the story. This is why it brings me back to that, to that Mike Brumfield conversation is I'm obviously running pretty hard as I get into the semifinals and I, I hop in one of the dragsters to roll up for my first entry of the semis and I round the corner into the back of the staging lanes and Spanky, uh, Chris Wilson, stops me and he's like, hey, um, they're lined up back to back so all you got to do is pull in behind them and you're in the final and I looked at him like he had three eyes I'm like what are you talking about like I'm not <laughs> taking one entry to the final I'm taking two entries to the final you know like duh right I don't want to run myself so I just kind of blow him off and roll up beside the one car like I'm gonna race this guy and then I'm gonna get in the other car and I'm come back and I'm gonna race this guy and um, so it was quarter mile and in that first pairing I uh, I don't remember the numbers, but like I had a reaction time advantage, maybe a hundredth or so, and I was just driving lights out. And I come up on my opponent, roll him through real tight, like know that I got there first just a little bit, just stare at my wind light and it's not on. I'm like, what on earth just happened, right? Well, I get the ticket, I had, maybe it's 12,000 on the, on the tree, um, and my opponent was one above. So like, as long as I don't give it back, I win. Well, something blew through the lights, and I was like two seconds under. So I've got a rerun. I hop in the other car. I come back for the other semi. I get beat. Um, I jump in the rental car, and this is a whole different story for another day. Um, but I am—I I ran Andy Anderson. I know you're familiar with in that semifinal. We're yeah. both deep staging. I'm dialed like 18 something quarter mile. He's dialed 10 something, and so I. Uh, I would get in the habit, like at all of those events um, th that I had been to in, in different parts of the country, um, deep staging was uh, allowed, not honored. 
So I thought, well, I need to go ahead and get in. Like, I'm not hanging him out. He's got eight seconds to get deep, right? So I go ahead and get deep. And with the rental car, uh, many uh, that have raced street cars are familiar with this. Like, you, I could put both feet on the floor, and it basically, like, it acted like it was on a rev limiter. Like, and then I just released the brake pedal. Like, it was easy. In deep stage, I could hit the flash on the third and have good lights. And so as soon as I get deep, he's full staged. I, I do that, both feet on the floor. And the last thing that I want is like my tree coming down and then to see his pre-stage light go out. So I'm got like the, the um, visor down blocking the stage light. So I can't see any of that. So I'm just staring at the third light on my little chip, both feet on the floor. And it, I'm there for a while. And I'm like, damn, why isn't the tree coming down? You know, it's going to come down soon. It's going to come down soon. Well, little did I realize like they were honoring deep. So which is the right thing to do, but I didn't know it. So they're waiting for Andy to get in deep. Well, once he does, finally, the tree starts down. Well, at that point, I had had both feet on the floor for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. And little to my knowledge that if you do that long enough, it puts said rental car into limp mode. So it just went to idle about the time the second amber came on. And I released the brake and was like, okay, that's not going to work. Andy didn't go red, um, whatever. Laid on the tree and, and five seconds over the dial and or more, and he wins. Okay, so I lost that one. So now I come back for the, the rerun, which I solidly got my tail kicked yet again. So the, the bottom line of this story was that within mm, 40 minutes time, I watched not one, not two, not three, but four times I watched the wind light come on in the other lane in the semifinal round in like 40 minutes. <laughs> so that one will always stick with me. And then the best part of that was that was the season it was 2006. I can tell you that for sure now. That was the season that at season's end, Rustin Mays and I ended the Drag Race Results Championship Series tied for the championship, and he won the tiebreaker. And the championship, it was only a $50,000 turnkey dragster. Oh. So I get that punch in the gut, right? I turned it red the last round, the, the round that I needed to win at the last race of the year. And I'm just like, oh, this is awful, right? Like, life can't get any worse. So it, he gave me, to Spanky's credit, he gave me about an hour to digest that before he called and said, I told you you should have run yourself in that semi at Maple Grove. <laughs> and had I done that, I would have been the world champion. So appreciate oh, wow. that, Spanky. Yeah. Mm. So in, in that case, I can defend Mike Brumfield's uh, decision. Yes. To advance one to the final round. So, yes, that was a long way of saying uh, maybe that wasn't such an odd decision. Yes, not a bad, <laughs> not a bad choice at all. <laughs> uh, one last thing from the NHRA competition. Uh, we mentioned, I, I mentioned two weeks ago how I feel like the class to follow as far as a championship chase is Superstock, and I will stick to that just for the, um, the stature of, of the the men competing for that title or, or who i expect to compete for that title but i will also say stock eliminator is getting interesting uh with with his runner up in sonoma justin lamb surprise surprise has inserted himself into that chase he's got a couple of finals hasn't been to a lot of races joe santangelo has been on fire stock and super stock uh, he recently won stock at the Division One event at New Media. I believe that's his third stock final of the year. We've talked uh, 
at length about Wes Neely and the way that he started a season, particularly on the divisional side. I believe he's already eclipsed the 400 point mark in division score, which is a guaranteed division championship typically, and obviously sets the stage for a great national finish. He's got to do some good at his national events. He's in good shape. Same with Jimmy Hidalgo. Um, those are four big names having great early starts to the season. And at the same time, None of them are putting up like a monster unbeatable score. So there could be multiple racers that jump in, in there, jump up into that fray and make this more interesting. But as of right now, early August, uh, those four stand out in my mind. Yeah, very cool. Uh, some great names, great racers in there. And um, as I've mentioned a couple of times on the show, as we've discussed this, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, all of those racers very capable of getting on a run and separating themselves, but with all of them being so capable, that might uh, limit the opportunity for anyone to separate themselves. So should be fun to see that play out for sure. And fortunately for us, Luke, we have you on the show. We don't have to watch it ourselves. You'll keep us updated. What is it that Anthony Bertozzi told me? Like, uh, if you win, they'll call and let you know. You ain't got to keep up with it. <laughs> yeah, I'll what, let you know whoever wins. You don't have to worry about it. I got you covered. I will nerd out to the end. Stick out here. Stick here with me. I got you. Good stuff. All right. I think that wraps us up, Luke. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground, but I, that, that's all I got. It was, and we're we're recording this on Tuesday night, and it's uh it's past eleven p.m. Eastern time where producer Mark is, and. I'm sure he's got to get up and, and go do work tomorrow. So producer well, in, Mark, about, we... in about five minutes when we sign off here, we'll have to call Mark to wake him up so that he can <laughs> stop the recorder. Yeah. We, we want to apologize producer Mark. We kept you up too late this time, but he's a trooper. He always hangs in there with us. So we definitely appreciate all he does for the show and we appreciate you, the listener. Thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoyed this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast with Luke and Jed. It's bringing us to a close. Uh, we would love to hear from you right there on the sportsman drag racing podcast, Facebook page, reach out to us, let us know what you liked about the show, what you didn't, what you might want to see more of or less of or hear more of or less of or just anything you got to say, reach out to us and let us know what uh, what you'd love to discuss right there on the, the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page or you can message us privately and producer Mark will receive those and, uh, and get that information to us as needed. So definitely love to hear from you. Make sure you catch up with us there on the Facebook page. Luke? It is shout time, and you and I, uh, in a sense, vacationed together. Uh, we again, I think everybody knows here on the show now that listen, last time we were together, that uh, we were both going to Orange Beach, Alabama, in the same exact time frame, going to spend time 1.9 miles apart, uh, <laughs> unknowingly. Uh, setting this up but it it worked out where we found out uh, that we were going to be there together and we were able to spend a little time together your family got with uh with me and my family and we had a really good dinner one night and tried to go play some putt-putt but the only time that it rained the entire time we were in orange beach it rained out our putt-putt adventure and we were never able to hook it back up but we had uh, we had some good discussion there. We had some good talks and uh, got to spend some time in the pool and hanging out and enjoying one another's company. And I said that shout time should be really good uh, this time around because of some of the uh, the stuff we discussed at the beach. Now, 
I'll be completely transparent and say that I have no idea what I was talking about then. I, I, I knew there was some stuff too that would make really cool shouts when I said that, but I can't remember a single one of them. So hopefully you got a good list, but if you don't, I'm okay with that too. But it's your time to shine, my friend. Let me just say for the listeners that you might you, you might have imagined this, but with my friend Big Jed, what you see is what you get. You get the same Big Jed that you hear on this podcast, the same Big Jed that you hear on the mic, the same Big Jed that you see at the racetrack is the same Big Jed in the Lazy River. It is one personality all the time, and you just don't stop laughing. It's uh, it's good stuff. So uh, shouts to our synchronized vacations, Big Jed. Um, <laughs> shouts to... My wife, who there is no place on earth she would rather be than on the beach, shouts also to my eight-year-old son, who despises the beach, doesn't like the sand, is intimidated by the ocean. So that was an interesting family dilemma on our end. Um, but, you know, by and large, it was good times. Shouts on our end, Big Jed, to Doc Seafood. Shouts to the best fried shrimp in the civilized world. I think mm. you can attest yes it was good oh my goodness it was good shouts to long sleeves and bicycles shouts to <laughs> pink heart floats you rocked that pink heart float big good oh i love this this is shouts so good to firecracker shrimp shrimp shouts to uh, I'm, I'm transitioning a little bit now shouts to happy harry shouts to sweet caroline shouts to chris bear shouts to mm. paul nero um shouts to mike brumfield and Andy Anderson and Chris Spanky Wilson and whoever else I'm leaving out of that story. <laughs> Great stuff. Uh, the, the beach tie in there to the shouts is excellent. And um, hopefully we can uh, we can do that all again. Your your little dude, uh, not your littlest dude, but your, your eight year old, your aforementioned eight year old Gary. Um, hung out with me you guys come to uh to our hotel or condo and spent a couple hours floating yeah and then he's like get out of here i'm hanging out with you this guy's (laughs) way more fun yeah and then you said bud we're gonna go back and get uh, jack a nap and get ready for dinner and we're gonna meet back up with him for dinner and he said okay well y'all have fun i'm gonna stick around here big jed and that's a smart (laughs) little guy you got i mean a real smart little guy he was awesome as evidenced by that decision yeah so so shouts to gary for hanging out shouts to jack uh he's uh you talk about firecracker shrimp uh this that guy's a firecracker (laughs) shrimp he is wide friggin open and uh, he's a blast to be around so enjoy the time with you and your lovely bride and, and boys there at the beach that was a really good time appreciate you guys coming over and hanging out with us um and um definitely shouts to uh to the listener for hanging in here this long we, we appreciate each and every one of you guys uh luke and i as you know are on twitter uh if you'd prefer to uh tweet with us outside of uh going to the facebook page luke is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i and i am at jp11x what a wonderful show we had a great time we appreciate you listening and we look forward to talking to you again real soon about more sportsman drag racing 
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.